Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or a real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you successfully sued a corporation only to have the principal claim it had no assets. What did you do? Dennis, we showed after the judgment there was a pattern of the principal taking money out of the corporation for his own personal purposes. And the outcome? After examining and documenting the corporation bank statements, we showed a pattern where the principal was using the corporation as his own personal piggy bank. We were able to show that he personally had a lot of money and should be the real defendant. He thought he could get away with everything by hiding behind the skirts of the corporation, but now he's personally liable. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. podcast with me, my good friend and producer, Ari David. And we have a guest here today. We are lucky to have Feeney. Yes. Welcome, Feeney. Thank Thanks you. very much. Feeney is... Um, Feeney Goodman, comedian. Feeney Goodman, comedian. She's a comedian, and she is uh, maybe not an outright atheist or even agnostic, but she has... She's skeptical. Absolutely. She, she wonders about uh, the Bible and, and feels that perhaps... Well, this whole notion of a creator is is good. It's it, it's interesting, and she she likes math and such such like that. So we can talk to her about math, but she's not so sure about the Bible being an accurate uh, uh, portrayal of of God's wishes. Let's say that it's not divine. <clears throat> is that fair characterization? Absolutely. I think of it as a a nice book of fairy tales. Okay. Wow. See now if. If we were Muslim, we'd be, I mean, we'd kill her by now. <laughs> She'd be dead. She just called our book homosexual. That's right. Uh, Fairy well, tales. <laughs> we would, if we were fanatical Muslim, I should say. Right? <clears throat> fair, yeah, fairy tales. Yeah. Anyway, these two, I got to tell you. So this, this is a, an interesting comment. And we, you used the word fairy tales, and that's actually interesting. Um, because... The purpose of this podcast, something that we wanted to pursue last week, is is asking the question and hopefully answering it meaningfully, where does the Torah or the Bible, what we know as the Old Testament for some for Christians, and the, the Torah or the Bible, uh, as Jews call it, where does it get it wrong in terms of science, first of all, and then uh, social issues, second of all? So what do I mean by that? Uh, social issues... I mean, like slavery, for example. There's, in, in the Bible, there's nothing in it that says slavery is a good thing, right? That would they, they, the Bible would have gotten it wrong. I put that with a capital W, if they said that slavery was something to be pursued and it's wonderful, and then one day you can own a slave too, you know, if you do just you know do right by God and God will give you many slaves. It doesn't say anything like that. On the contrary, slavery is depicted as a bad thing. So. They got it right, okay, <clears throat> the Torah. And then, of course, scientifically, uh, the issue of, uh, you know, did the, did the Torah say anything about, for example, the earth being flat? <clears throat> well, in that case, it would be 
wrong, right? Again, with a capital W. And then what about um, the, the Big Bang, for example? Well, they, they said the Big Bang, and everyone thought it was, the Bible was wrong until they realized it uh, wasn't wrong, okay? So that's what I mean when I'm talking about where did the Torah get it wrong. Now, <clears throat> we'll talk about the miracles and such like that, and I know that you want to talk about the flood, and, you, and perhaps you want to talk about uh, Moses and the opening of the sea. I, I, you know, we'll open that up, so to speak. Uh, but let, let's, let's go through that. And Ari, I know you know this deeply, but I'm going to go through a couple of things that I, I'm, I'm comfortable knowing. And if you know more things, please chime in. First of all, as I mentioned to you before, um, the, the Bible makes it very clear that there was a beginning. <clears throat> we now know that there was a beginning. And this was one of the biggest battles between science and religion uh, for centuries. And I, I remember as a little boy, um, and Ari, you're, you're, what, five years younger than me or so? You wouldn't have noticed this, but I was, I was on the cusp of when schools were teaching, they were still battling whether to teach the universe as a steady-state model or, or was the Big Bang the beginning of the universe. And, and the teachers literally went back and forth on that one year. I was steady state. Then I said, no, it's a big bang. And then they went back to steady state. Then they went back to the big bang. And then it stood, it, it stood still with the big bang eventually. So it was very interesting. <clears throat> so the Torah got it right on that. Here's another thing that Torah seems to have gotten right. One of the first things that it talks about is light. Right? First there was light. And it turns out that's exactly right. First there was light. Nothing else, light. And I, I, I well, love no, that. First there was darkness until let there be light. Right, exactly. Okay, but the, so the first thing that created the universe was light. <clears throat> and, and we are. We're all expressions of light one way or the other. It, it turns out to be exactly right. So again, the Bible gets it right when it comes to the science. Um, then there's the issue of um, how... The, you know, the heavens form first, and then there's the oceans, and then there's the animals, right? <clears throat> and you'd think they would get that wrong, right? Because it actually lays out, first came these animals, then these animals, then these animals, then these animals, and so on, right? Turns out, wouldn't you know, by amazing coincidence, the Bible lays it out exactly correctly. The fossil record that we now have, something they, they didn't know even 100 years ago, <clears throat> shows exactly that. Including, are you ready? Wait for it. Wait for it. The dinosaurs. The Bible has dinosaurs in it? Mm -hmm. It does. And where it doesn't they? refer to it as the dinosaurs. They refer to them as, as the large reptiles. It's a fair description, right? So, um, and, and this is before they even knew that there was a... Dinosaurs were only discovered, I think, about 150, 200 years, not even 200 years ago. Right around the year 1900, right yeah. around okay, so let's right around the time <clears throat> that man had the machinery to dig through solid rock. Mm -hmm. Before then, you could only dig basically through <clears throat> loose dirt. Right, and they were able to find uh, dinosaurs. I mean, let, you know, let's let's be <clears throat> uh, open and generous in our estimate. Say it's 150 years, and it, it just turns out that nobody knew about that about dinosaurs, and, but the Bible knew about it. I mean, if you were to read the Bible 200 years ago before there was any knowledge of dinosaurs, you would say, what's this about this large reptile stuff? What are they talking about, right? It would be a big mystery to you. Monsters, dragons, what, what is it? 
And, and just like we now know that the Big Bang is real, they, the p- people who are true Bible thumpers, if you want, they would say, you see, dinosaurs, large reptiles. We but were right. They, but, uh, you know, um, did they describe the large reptiles or just say large reptiles? Because a crocodile. No, a amazingly, they said Brontosaurus, Tyrannosaurus Rex. No, of course not. Uh, in perfect Greek. <laughs> in perfect Greek. It was really weird. Uh, no, did they, talk, they talk about the large reptiles. No, you know, no more detailed than they say the fish, right? They didn't talk about then came the shrimp, then came the lobster, right? They talk about kind of very generalized terms, but it's exactly so. In the same way they talk about the six days of creation, the day of rest being epochs, not... Right. Literal days. And to Feeney's point and yours, where the, the point of conversion in all this, which I think you're getting at, is that the more science verifies these things, the less likely the Bible is seen as fairy tales. It's well, more <clears throat> likely to be seen right. as fairy tales before the discovery of these scientific right. advances. You see, Ari and I are, are men of numbers. We love numbers. And I, I'm very passionate about it. In fact, the reason why I now believe in God, no, that I know that there's a God is because of numbers. In fact, as we described maybe three or four podcasts ago, God to me is more real, Feeney, than you are sitting right in front of me right now. Really? Yeah. In what way is that? That, that the numbers dictate it. You, you could literally be a hologram. There's, there's more likelihood that you are a hologram sitting in front of me than, uh, the, um, than, than God's existence. Much more likely. A really good-looking hologram. Yes, that's true. You, you, well, you're very distracting, Feeney. Well, so perfect. <laughs> Nobody like this exists in real life. That's right. So, so there, more proof that she's probably a hologram. All right, she has to be created. And, uh, and, and in, in past episodes, you've talked about how, and this is such a brilliant analogy, you're more likely to drop a piece of paper from a copier of the Empire State Building in a high wind and have it go straight down and land on its edge and stick there, right. then the chances that there is no God That's right. who created That's the exactly universe right. and everything. You, you, and do it a thousand times in a row. That's right. how, how often... It, you would say that's a little bit bizarre. You would say something's going on with a magnetic flux, even though paper's not magnetic. But you would say some, some sort of magic is going on. Someone's kind of pulling the string. Someone's doing something here. But we can, we can talk about that in a separate way, but right now we're just looking at the, the reality of the Bible. Now, we just talked about the dinosaurs, we talked about the Big Bang, we talked about light, we talked about how the, the animals all came exactly so. You could say, what an amazing coincidence, but it just happened that way, Barack. And I say, look, that's pretty powerful information for me as it is. Here's another thing that they, the Bible got right. Now, Ari already alluded to this before. He said that the earth was, that the universe was created in more or less six days. And, uh, and Shabbat, of course, is the seventh day, the day of rest. How can this be? That seems so silly. After all, we know that the, the universe uh, took a lot longer than that. Thank you very much, right? And I'm anticipating your question. Is that, is that what you would, you would ask, Fini? Uh, that the universe took a lot longer than that. It, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. To, to six days is an awfully lot. That's a, you'd have to get a lot done right. in six days. <clears throat> in six 24-hour revolutions of the, right. the Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so now, first of all, let's, let's keep in mind that the notion of day, before Earth even existed, therefore it, it, it's not designed to mean an Earth day. So it's a day. And Ari already said it's, it's translated loosely in Hebrew, it's yom, which means... Uh, an era. So 
there, there, there's day and era. So when it's translated, it says day and such. And therefore, it's, it's a misnomer. It's a mistranslation. So it's more of an era. But some commentators are now saying that no, it actually does mean a day and 24-hour days. So how do you reconcile that? Because we now know um, that, and again, science caught up with the, the Bible, the Torah. And we now know that time is relative through the theory of relativity. And you have, for example, in the movie Interstellar, it actually talks about this, if you've ever seen that movie. In that movie, you have um, the, uh, the characters going off to a different space, a different um, uh, planet far off in a different galaxy, for that matter, hoping to find another place that might be habitable for human life. And they, they go about it, and they have to make a couple of choices because whenever they're going to go into this one planet, they, it, the gravity is so strong that it actually bends time, right? And if you were to go to Jupiter, for example, which has a, a much stronger gravitational pull and somehow could, could land there and all that stuff, your time would be a lot slower than, or faster, I forget which one it is, but you would come back out of, the, out of that and you would be, still remain relatively young and everyone around you would be very old. And, and that's, it's bizarre. We now know that time is in flux all the time. Um, and, and, and that's what it's like. Because as the universe was expanding, what was considered a 24 hours for somebody would be an infinite life for somebody else. It's exactly the same thing. And in, in the Torah, it actually says one day... Uh, in human terms, it's like a thousand years for God, right? And that, that's an amazing thing. And using that bit of information and other bits of information in the Torah, I forget who it was, but a famous rabbinical scholar estimated the age of the universe. And you know what number he came up with? About 15 billion. What does science now say that the universe, how old the universe is? About 15 billion. And that was 500 years ago that this guy estimated the, the universe's thing. So, so far, we see nothing wrong in the Torah. Um, now, you may be very well say, well, Baruch, that's because you're only talking about things that you think are right, and you're not pointing out the wrong things. Fair enough. But let's, just those things I talked about, that's pretty friggin' impressive, right? Wouldn't you say, Feeney? I would, I would. It's... Uh... The gravitational pull of the early parts of the Big Bang or the beginning of the universe causing the time to be different is really yeah. fascinating to me. We, we know it's, time is totally warped. We know it's time and space. They're all bizarre. And gravity has very bizarre effects on everything else. Just as, as a point of, of, of uh, reflection, in the old days, when they looked up the, to the skies, they saw a bunch of stars, right? in the nighttime at least, and they would, they would say, oh, isn't this neat? You know, from their perspective, what do you think they, they were thinking? What do they think they, they saw the stars as? They, did they, maybe they figured out they were suns, right? But what do you think they actually were thinking in their heads was, was out there? I mean, what was their impression? Just imagine, put yourself as a Greek philosopher looking at the sky, okay? Yeah. What, what does it mean to you? What would you think, scientifically, not from a, a myth mythological point of view? Yeah, I, I would just imagine that the um, that the 
there was a black sheet and that a bunch of holes had been poked in and there was a big light above the black sheet that the holes, that the light Yeah, trickling it through. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people did think that. And that's exactly, or, or they thought they were suns and they were just kind of around the earth and they were all kind of beaming down and that some were brighter than others, yes, but that doesn't mean, didn't mean anything other than they were brighter than others. You know, just like a candle might be brighter mm-hmm. because it's bigger. I don't know. That, that's the way it was. And, and they, they never, it never occurred to them to look at the universe or the, the, the starry skies as the way we now know it. When you look into the sky, you're actually looking at different points of time, aren't you? Right? This star is two light years away, so you're seeing it as it was two years ago. This star over there, that's 50,000 years away, light years away. Therefore, you're seeing it as it was 50,000 years ago. And then that one is 100,000, this one's four, uh, four years, and so on. And there's thousands and thousands of stars in the sky. And there are, none of them are in real time with each other, nor in relationship to us either. We're not, uh, many of them could have blown up, but you're still seeing them as if they're still there because of the light year factor, right? So it's bizarre. And it's a, it's a cornucopia of different historical moments that we're seeing all at the same time. It's weird. But we seem to recognize that science understands that, but it seems to laugh at the Torah, as it says, six, six days of creation. And in fact, it's very explainable in the way that I just said it. And, then, and not a convoluted way, it's very straightforward. And then there's a further point to mm-hmm. it that I think really clinches the, the evidence, which is God is constantly referred to as the eternal one. So while all these points are inconsistent in, in time frames as themselves and in relation to each other, God is the one eternal thing. And what we know about dimensional science, time is a dimension. That's right. It's a, it's a spatial dimension. <clears throat> and every spatial dimension in front of and behind the, the, the next consecutive one is either driven and affected by the one below it or it's not affected by the one above it. So what that means is once you get past the fourth dimension of time and into the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth spatial dimensions, however, whatever those are, our minds can't really picture them. It means literally that those are not spatial dimensions affected by time, that there is a place where God exists beyond these advanced dimensions that are timeless, that are not driven by time the way we are. Right. Now, that may seem very bizarre, what Ari just said, right? I mean, and the expression is God is outside of time. Okay. So how do we, how do we wrap that in our heads? Well, I've got something for you. We do it all the time as parents. What, what are you talking about, Brock? Yeah. When you play a DVD, right, and you see, let's say, Finding Nemo. We all know about that movie, right? And there's the beginning of the movie, the middle. You've seen it a hundred times by now. Right? You're not in your head. You've seen it, right? Yes. And the kids have seen it. They seem to like it a lot. Okay, great. But we know what's going to happen to Nemo and the finding Nemo. And we like this part. And I love it when she cries. And and there's Dory and all that stuff, right? But pretending that they're real characters, right? Uh, They don't know what their own future is. But we do. We're the viewer. We've seen it many times now. We know their future. That's the way God is with us. Precisely. In essence, and this is the mind blower, everything that's going to happen has already happened. And from God's perspective, everything that has happened and will happen 
has all happened in the same time in the God space dimension. Right. But that's, then where's our free will? Yeah, that, okay, beautiful. I was just going to, yeah. you said it even better than I could have said it because I was going to be more complicated, but you said it, you, you said it, where's our free will, which is, you know, You're maybe, smarter than me, maybe, so. maybe Phoenix should be on the show instead of me. <laughs> I, it's exactly right. Where is our free will? And that is the age old question. But there is free will in, in the whole concept in the same way that we can see uh, in a movie somebody uh, making a decision and then it locks in time. And then it's as if it's always happened. In the same way that, sadly, you know, uh, Martin Luther King was shot, right? That's, that's a fact. It, it, it happens. Somebody exercised the free will, but now it's locked in time. Uh, it's a bad, bad exercise of free will, but there you have it. And bad things have happened. Good things have happened. And it's, it, the free will is all part of that. Yeah, just the, the counter-argument is so clear. Just because we have free will doesn't mean God, who is all-knowing, all-seeing, and eternal, doesn't know what our decision will be. That's right. He, he has knowledge yeah. of it. Yeah. He's not controlling it. Right. But he, he just knows he it. He just knows it in the same way that we were watching Forrest Gump. I mean, we saw Forrest Gump the other day and seeing the kind of, like the randomness of the little feather that floats in the sky, right? He, he knows, he just, you know, Forrest Gump kind of finds himself in different places and they said, how would you like to play ping pong? And he says, okay, right? And then he plays ping pong. And then he's a, you know, a hero of sorts. Okay, that's the way it is with, with God. It's, um, it, it's going to be, I don't want to get lost in this particular part, part of it. It's an important part of it. Um, but free will is all over the place in the Torah also, right? There are choices that, that are made and, uh, and there are consequences as a result of those choices. And that's the whole point of the Torah is let's learn from the, the lessons of people making very bad decisions and some good decisions. And, and that's an important point because yeah. like a good movie, the Bible isn't full of okay decisions. It's not like Abraham woke up and he had a choice between sugar and equal or half and half or whole milk. Okay, it, the decisions are either Ramses the second either let the slaves go or he didn't. Right. 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 Moses either returned <laughs> to Egypt to do what God told him to do or he didn't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. These were big decisions. Right. Well, there's a lot of self doubt also. Right. right. With Moses. But okay, so other areas of science and culture. This is this is what I love, and and, and Feeney, if you want to bring in some questions of like. Didn't the Bible say this in terms of, we'll get to the miracles later on because that's kind of a separate discussion. Um, is, is there any area where you feel, gosh, they, they really got this wrong? You know, example, flat earth, that there was no flat earth, but that would be an example. Well, well I think um, where I, what burbles in my head real fast is like um, the rules. And I'm probably absolutely misquoting them because I'm absolutely not a biblical scholar. But like, one shall never wear leather and cotton together, lest right. one be right. bad, according to the Torah. I think she's, she's one written. shall not lie with another man. You know, whatever. All these rules that like, one shall not right. eat this. She 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 makes know. it sound like it's a Monty Python situation. <laughs> Well, she learned her Bible from Life of Brian. That's all I know. It was Life of Brian. That was my... She learned her... That's a start. That's a start. Yeah, she learned about the Crusades I thought I said... I think I said like a bad Catherine Hepburn. One shall never live with another Anyway, but, you know, those rules are... That's very funny. She knows everything about the Bible from Life of Brian, everything about the Crusades from the whole... Oh, I learned everything for a long time there, before I got a little bit more versed. I learned everything. That one scene where the Brian character... He, you know, he falls down and he ends up being one of the preachers, you know, and doesn't realize yeah. it. And he's trying to avoid all the Roman guards and such like that. He goes, and uh, you should not do anything bad lest 
anything bad happen to you? <laughs> and, and he's like, kind of, he's still distracted as he's saying it. And the people say, what was that again? And I said, uh, don't do bad things, because that might mean some bad things will happen to you. <laughs> uh, but uh, what does that mean? Brilliant. And, and, and so, anyway, that's, that was my, the, the scope of my religious training. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> the church of Brian. <laughs> that's right. Exactly right. Uh, anyway, so a very funny movie. I recommend the movie. Yeah, but how would you address the, the role of Leviticus if you... Because I think what Feeney and others point out is that the punishment for wearing two kinds of fabric and the punishment okay, for lying yeah. with another man... <coughs> Is the same. It both says it's an abomination. Right. Okay. So, look, the word abomination is actually a mistranslation in many ways. Abomination means it's counter to God's will. That's all it means. Um, now, it doesn't mean that you shall be you shall die if you do this um, man sleeping with another man and and the, the linen and wool. Uh, I think it's linen. It's a wool and it was meant cotton. to be li- uh, cotton and cotton and wool. Okay, I believe for linen but, but and wool. In, in much the same way, we have rules about. Uh, mixing of, of meat and milk and, and other things like that that, that right. comprise the, the kosher laws. Um, the, the notion is about separating. It's actually an expression-free will. That's what it's all about. So you can... There are many themes in the Bible, and one of the themes that I, I've chosen to see is a theme of chaos and order. And Sodom and Gomorrah being the ultimate example of chaos, right? When Abraham leaves... Um, the whole area uh, where everyone else was, and I believe it was Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Okay, he leaves that area, that horrific area, and, and God tells him to leave. But it's, it's even more dangerous for him to leave out of this area because there's nobody else to, to work with. And the famous line is, Abraham went. And meaning, went, went where, right? He begs all these questions. Um, but he, he went to create structure. And there was a sense of, we have a covenant this is, uh, you know, man and woman are very important, uh, a child and, and the family and everything else. In the, in the days of old, in Sodom and Gomorrah and everything else, there was rampant incest, rampant polygamy, rampant male and male sexuality. Um, it was disorder. It was complete disorder. And there was, you know, the debauchery of, of wine and, and everything else. And people would literally just chop off other people's legs and start eating them. I mean, it was, it, it was that crazy. It was a combination of Venice and West Hollywood in one horrible mixture. Right. Now, now you're going too extreme, man. That's just, that's too much. <laughs> I just, I can't work under these conditions. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, wish, I wish I knew he's going to say these things and I can cut them off ahead of time. <laughs> But anyway, I, no, I appreciate that. It, it is, it, it, it's order versus disorder. And that's what the Bible's all about in many ways. So you, you talk about the rules, and it's a very legitimate thing to see, to say. But they're, first of all, they're guidelines, especially the mitzvot. Ultimately, the Ten Commandments are all encompassing. They're very, very powerful. And it's designed for the Jews in particular. And then the rest of the world starts embracing them as well. If you observe these Ten Rules, then everything flows from them. Right, but think about the the cr- incredible structure that that's involved. You know, you honor your mother and your father. You don't steal. You don't murder. Um, you don't covet. You don't. You know, you, you respect God's existence. You don't bear false witness, Mr. Lawyer. Yes, that's right. Important. You don't bear false witness. All about structure of some kind or another, creating a structure. 
And, and so to, to answer your question, that's what it's all about. Now, you had a kind of a subset question, and that question, subset question was, well, it seems like really harsh punishment to, to have like a man sleep with another man. But I, I hope I explained that. It's actually not what many people think. Um, people also often look to the Torah and they say, you know, they only look to the Torah and they, that's it. But it's, it's not really, you're only looking at half the picture. You have to look at the Gemara, for example, which is the, the interpretation, the oral tradition of the interpretation of the Torah before you can really truly appreciate the Torah. There's Kabbalah and everything else that goes with it. So if you only look at the Old Testament, you're missing more than half the picture. So, And the, another thing that's rarely pointed out is that only the Ten Commandments, the Ten uh, Statements, is the unadulterated voice of God speaking directly to the people. Right. God never speaks ever except those Ten Statements. Right. Everything else in the Bible is, it's commentary. Will, commentary yeah. on these stories that, that you're supposed to learn lessons of. Yeah. So there's no hard and fast uh, punishments or even law in those that is from God's hand. So if people... Uh, put to death people for homosexuality. We talked earlier about free will. That was just a choice. Uh, I'll pull uh, Grandpa Simpson out of the uh, hopper for her. That was just a choice based on the style of the time, right. which may have been a barbaric era. But, but, but here's the thing. It didn't happen. People were not killed for homosexuality. It says it. It just says... Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that it says. You know, An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's not as if people actually gouged out somebody's eye when there was an eye problem, you know, like you, you, you poke somebody's eye out by mistake and it was, you were negligent, they're not saying, well, now let's bend down and I'm going to gouge out your eye too because to make things even. No. The whole point of it was that the punishment should be commensurate with the, the, inju- the, the wrong, whatever it means. And that's, that, was, that's, that was before the Bible, right? That was like Code of Hammurabi. And- the Code of Hammurabi, yes, it, it, it was, but it was, it was articulated much better in the, in the Bible at the end of the day. Now, here's a question that probably you can never answer, but it just I thought of it. With the Ten Commandments, if that's God direct, speaking directly to the people, what motivated God to do it in that point in time? Oh, I like that. Oh, that's an Why important then? one and an easy one. Yes. And easy, really? Well, I would think yeah. that because who knows? You know what? This is so easy. I'm going to let Ari handle it. Okay. It's so easy because this was the moment that God decided to communicate to the newly liberated people of Israel <coughs> who had finally been liberated from bondage in Egypt and right. decided it is time for these people newly imbued with freedom and the wisdom they were supposedly garnered from the freedom right. and liberation to get receive the law. Right. So they, were those, they, they, were, they, were mature, they were mature enough to receive the, the God's law. Before then, they were not mature. It's, it's, it's very similar to uh, you know, telling your children about you know, sexuality or violence of a certain kind and, and so on, or, or, or what the real world, history of the world is. They're not ready for it at, at five years old. Yeah, or right? for Jewish families, the Holocaust. Yeah, the Holocaust, right. Yeah. You, you, you wait. There's age-appropriate time. And likewise, the Ten Commandments came to the Jews at what God believed was age-appropriate. And it may not it may have been too early, <laughs> as it turns out. As it turns out, based on the Golden Calf story, it was too early. Yeah. But you can see God's logic. Right. And remember, God is supposedly all-knowing. Sometimes he makes... He doesn't make mistakes, but he makes slight errors, right? Mm-hmm. And this might have been one in that he probably, and remember, God doesn't assume, God knows, but he probably assumed they just saw 10 miracles called the plagues. 
that happened to the guys keeping you in bondage. An 11th miracle, bigger than all those 10, the splitting of the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you get the law. You, you can't miss this one, guys. Right, yes. And Moses, sure enough, brings these things in. He's only gone 40 days or so. Uh, he says, right. I'll be back. Comes down with the tablets. And they totally screwed everything up. Right. They were doing Sodom and Gomorrah at the bottom of the mountain. Right. Yeah, he's very passionate about that. And I like that about Ari. <laughs> Sometimes I worry he'll have a stroke. Anyway. Several. Several in the... In he's five, three in the I just said, Right. Just the, yeah, sorry. That was three strokes. <laughs> Call nine one one, would you, Feeney? All right. So, so he, but but that's exactly the right point. It, it's a little bit like, you know, when when you have a, a husband that is uh, drunk all the time and you know cheating, converting on, on on you, and then and then you know you keep on saying, "Honey, I'm going to leave you. Honey, I'm going to leave you. Honey, I'm going to leave you," and then you you figure at some point, you know, you, you actually d- deliver the papers and you you move out, and now he says, "I've learned my lesson. We're good to go. I I see the light." Right, and then you know, not one week later, you see him. You catch him in, in bed with another woman. <laughs> it's, it's not what you think. It's, it's not what you think. <laughs> like that scene from. She uh, loves that movie. Oh, that was such a funny movie. But we we, and we use that as an example, <laughs> honey. It's not what it looks like. Uh, it's from a working girl, right? Yeah, right. with Melanie Griffith. Anyway, uh, so so you know, it's it's my example of coming back and and from God's perspective, saying really. I mean, I showed you all these miracles and everything else, and you still, you know, have to have this calf. And the, and the whole point is this: the calf story is about freedom, and that the 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 fear that people have regarding freedom, because freedom means responsibility. People are are willing to give up all their freedom, not just a little bit of it, all of it, for the sake of security and routine and knowledge of uh, and certainty in particular. And, and that's, pleasure. And pleasure, sure. Um, but then they'll, they end up finding they, they get none of it anyway. So that's what the, the gold calf story is to some extent. It's about freedom. And our last podcast was all about the meaningfulness of freedom and that God wants us to be free, but free to do what, right? It begs the question. And so we, we had a kind of a, a parlay of, of the various different things. Does it mean freedom to eat, eat as much junk food as you want? Does it mean freedom to have uh, a lot of orgasms? Uh, does, it, does it mean freedom to... Um, to say, you know, to, to yell at somebody, you know, what is it? Freedom to, you know, slough off at work? Is that what the, the, the American colonialist who fought with George Washington, is that what they fought for? Right. No. Right. Like, well, well, is, do they, they, they fight for that? You know, the right for you to, I don't know, just to, to watch movies all day long? No. They, they were willing to die for something. What kind of freedom? Because we know they were dying for freedom. What kind of freedom were they dying for? And Ari and I have concluded, and I think we're right, that the freedom to discover God, that's what it is. Hmm. Because no, no other kind of freedom means anything. I, you tell me any other kind of freedom, and I'll show you that it, it's meaningless. Nobody would die for that. The freedom that you do die for is the freedom to connect with God at the end of the day. And so often people make the mistake of thinking the golden calf ritual kind of freedoms of, um, you know, orgasms on end, drug usage, intoxication, all those things, is freedom. When the wisdom of the Bible and the wisdom of the founders who fought in the Revolutionary War and those who fought, again, 
in the in the war between the states to liberate the slaves understood that once humanity descends into the pleasures of West Hollywood or Venice, well, the only thing that's going to result is a top-down bully state, if you will, where one guy or one set of alpha males start dominating everything and take the pleasure away from everyone. And you saw it in the, uh, in the 1960s with the, what the communes became. Yeah. You know, people said, oh, let's go live off the land. It'll be a, you know, everyone could just walk around without clothes and we'll grow our marijuana right. and it'll all be free. Sure enough, it turned into like a, a David Koresh or a Jonestown kind of cult. Well, nothing, one guy had all the pleasure and everyone else was a slave. But I agree with you, but I think we're running a little bit far afield from the Torah in terms of it's, whether it's wrong or right. Now, here's something, and, and I appreciate your comment. The, we talk about the science and the culture, science and culture. Let me explain how, how um, out of time the Torah was when it was written. Here comes a, a, a document that says God is the only thing that's important, not your rulers. Okay? The first order of business is love of God. The Ten Commandments says nothing of, you know, you got to honor this king that I, I anointed. <clears throat> and he's, he's cool with me. So you, you give him all your money and give your, all your women and all that stuff. Okay, that's what you would expect in a document made by, fabricated by men, right? But it's, it ain't there. That's meaningful. Uh, <clears throat> then you have um, all sorts of other things, institutions that are looked down upon, such as slavery, like we talked about. And it looks down upon incest. All of a sudden, it's, and polygamy, it says... You know what? It's, uh, it's rampant. It recognizes that polygamy is rampant, but it detests polygamy. It detests incest. It also detests uh, other institutions of the day, like the firstborn being somehow more paramount right, in society, that the firstborn has greater rights than, than the secondborn and the thirdborn and so on. If you look at the Bible, all the heroes of the Bible, virtually every single one of them is either the second or thirdborn. Or in the case of Joseph, lastborn. Lastborn, right? Good example. So all of them. It's really, it's really weird. It's, it's almost as if God is trying to say, from an anecdotal point of view, from a story point of view, that that dog don't mean nothing. Okay, it don't don't be impressed with first order and otherwise. So it's taking, <clears throat> you know, fighting the first order, first son business. It's elevating <clears throat> a marriage and saying that's very important. It detests incest and polygamy. It elevates women also. All these things were bizarre notions at the time. And, and, to, fight. and to the point about uh, the, and, and, the order of uh, uh, birth and birthrights, it rewards merit. Yes. Little David. Uh, strength and size and power <laughs> was what was respected by these primitive people. But right. here comes little David who shows the power of a rock right. directed uh, with physics. Right. Well, but not only that, but he's a nobody. Right. Your lineage means nothing. And this is at a time where everyone really cared whether you had lineage. Now, Feeney, you might ask me, well, what about all this thing about, you know, such and such begat, such and such, such a begat that and all that stuff, right? That's right. There's a right. lot of lineage. There's a lot of lineage in that, right? But those are just stories because there's, not because for royalty purposes, not because they're more important. It's just to, to sell you that there's a lineage going on. There's an important part to that. And the reason why they did that is because before the Torah, there was no sense of time. Time, not like we, we've been talking about, but a different kind of time. Time was a circle. Life was a circle. 
you, you were born, you worked for the king or the leader, and you, you worked all day long on, until you died. You might have some children along the way, but they weren't yours. It was just a circle. And Abraham went from all that. Think of it like a big circle and suddenly a line streaming out of it and now progressing and getting better and better all the time. That's what it was like. But they didn't have years to, t- to talk about that, right? So there was nothing relative. They didn't say, and in the year of our Lord, 19, to use your, you know, Audrey Hepburn language. <laughs> you have to warble more. That's right. Yeah, no way. Oh, Kate Hepburn. Okay, oh, I'm sorry, Catherine Hepburn. Uh, in the year of our Lord, you know, you know, 1964 BC, because we, yes, we do know that Jesus will one day be in, and we're, we're basing our time relative to him. <laughs> uh, but we know him, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> He's say coming. No more, say no more. more. <laughs> uh, no, it, it, obviously they didn't, have, they didn't have a relative time period, but what they did have is a sense of generation, like oh, such and such begat such and such, and so they were able to connect the dots that way. That was their time device. But in that in that part, as I remember, there's like, and then Abraham lived to be two hundred twenty years old. Uh, and yes. then, you know, Bobby yes. was 400 years old. That's not a biblical name, but yeah. So what is that? Right. Okay. So you're, yeah, Bobby. <laughs> Everyone remembers Bobby. Name. When they, they got Bobby, that was a big event. And then Bobby got <laughs> Billy Bob. Billy Bob. Robert. Son of William. Bob. That's, the, that's the white trash Bible. I'm sorry. That's I right. stand corrected. That's right. The Swiss Talk about a mistranslation. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it's Swiss, from the original Greek. Yeah, Swiss Jesus instead of Semitic Jesus. Uh, all right. I think uh, once he started doing the Venice uh, Hollywood thing, that was he's got it, was, it, went, it went too far. That was good material. It was good. All right. So, so uh, I think your question is, how can it be that somebody lives 200, 400, 900 years? Speaking to the science, you say nothing right. in the Bible is unscientific, but. Right. If, if they now they know how to live that long, how don't we? Because we're trying. And oh, brand. We okay. want to live 20 but live to 900. So. Well, the, the fact is, and I, don't laugh about this, but the people did live that long. They did. And Methuselah lived the longest, I think, they, they, in, at least in reference to the Bible, that he was 900 years old. And you say, well, oh, my gosh, that, that's just no way that can happen. But we now have recent scientists saying they can live to that long. There's no reason they can't. And back then, you know, with the right combination of food and not as much pollutants and everything else, well, they did. So you're saying the environmentalists are right. Organic food, non-pollution well, of, uh, you know... I'm not saying that they're right. I'm, I'm, I am saying that clean living is, is a very good way of living. Uh, you know, the way the, the uh, environmentalists go about it um, is, is very destructive. They actually want us to retreat back to a time where uh, everyone will end up going hungry. But I'd rather have everyone, you know, being able to be fed and maybe live a little bit less in, in time than to have everyone die in the so, process. To that point, uh, the environmentalists are exactly wrong because the environmentalists always have government and socialist solutions. At those times, socialism didn't exist. You had to do... Yeah, you, you had to that, figure it out. There had to be merit. Well, yeah. I guess what yeah. I'm saying is there's science. Like uh, Gwyneth Paltrow saying, do your cleanses, eat our only organic food, right. have air filters, everything's organic and no pesticides. Right. Well, but, but, but they didn't have terms of organic or otherwise back then. I mean, the, the notion of pesticides today would not, you know, it, it's, it, it may not be a distinction with any significance at the end of the day. But we are a society that eats too much. We are a society of excess. 
And uh, as a consequence of that, I mean, if you eat too much, you, you'll live a much shorter life. We now know that by eating less, you actually live longer, for example. Yeah, yeah. I heard about those people that they eat a third of the calories of most people that's recommended. Right. And that's they right. say they live a lot longer. That's, that's true. And, 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 if you eat, and if you eat uh, only, you know, the certain kind of foods. Uh, so anyway, yeah. it, it's definitely possible. It's not out of the ordinary. It's, I mean, it's, it is out of the ordinary. But, but remember, God's in charge. And the notion that in the same way that the six days applied, that the 900 years uh, was, was a decision of God's. And he, after the time of Noah, by the way, it's, it's all about pre-Noah and our post, uh, pre-flood and a- after flood. Pre-flood, people were living much longer. The rules changed dramatically after, um, after the flood. One of the things that there was uh, in uh, before the flood were the seven commandments. Do you know about the seven commandments? Have you heard about this? No. This was all pre-Noah. Everyone was to live under the seven commandments, and among them was uh, you can't steal and you can't murder, of course. But there are other ones, and one of them being don't be cruel to animals. Interesting, mm-hmm. right? That's one of the seven commandments. That that's for all the world, and all the world still has to observe the seven commandments. The Jews have to observe the Ten Commandments, the ones that you hear about in the Charlton Heston and Life of Brian, no less. In so, other words, call your mother. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. So th- these are the these are important distinctions. So are you so, saying? So, oh, I'm sorry, <clears> big big things happen before the flood and after the flood. Dynamics change dramatically. And is that one of the reasons? Because this is part of the Bible I'm not familiar with. That it was so incumbent upon Noah to build an ark that could have two of all the species. It was a way of uh, reacting to the gross maltreatment of animals that was going on in the world around him. I, I don't think that's a far stretch to say. I think that's that's very fair. And, and by the way, how long do you think that it took um, Noah to build the ark with his family? How long do you think that took? If I had to guess, 10 years? Mm-hmm. And what about you, Ari? <laughs> 20 or 30 years <clears throat> a long time. It, but that's wait, assuming... Wait, 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 hold on. I that, got the answer for you. But that's assuming there, aren't, there isn't God's miracles lifting stuff here and there to make the process go quicker. No, it's a lot longer. A lot longer. It took 150 years. Wow. 150 years? Yeah. Wow. So... There's a lot of time, and there's a reason why it took 150 years. Because it was really <clears throat> big. They had no power tools. It, it was yeah. big, and they had no power tools. That's true. It actually says that in the Kamara. No, it doesn't. <laughs> they had to wait for all those trees to grow. <laughs> no, oddly enough, the reason why is that unlike Abraham, there's a difference between Abraham and, uh, and Noah. <clears throat> Noah was very reclusive. He did God's commandments and such, but he didn't seek out um, people to join him to, to avoid the, the great flood. <clears throat> and part of the reason why they had 150 years was to enable Noah to say, to, tell others, come on, I know what's going to happen. You've got to be with me on this. And they, and they didn't, of course, and basically it was just his family. Had he been able to uh, rally some other people, he would have negotiated with God and said, you know, bring on these other people. They're so nice. And look at the red hair. It's really sweet, cute. I like her. You know, whatever. But, but no, <laughs> you know, he's just... Uh, He's, he's very reclusive. By contrast, Abraham is much more open. He wants to bring in more people, and he wants to embrace them. Oh, you're so right, because the whole point of the <clears throat> Noah story is, hey, Noah, listen to me. There's only a couple people worth living right. in this, on this <clears throat> terrible planet. Right. You're one of them. 
Right. Like six others. And that they're all gotta that's, go. That's exactly they right. all gotta go. With with <clears throat> Abraham, it's hey Abraham, here's the light. Show others. Right. And he literally did that. But he also bargained for other people, right? With Son of Gomorrah. He said, I, I, I want to be able to to save these people. Let's negotiate. <laughs> and and he said, uh, you know, you have to find um, he said, you have to find uh, 100 good people in order to do this. And he says, look, it's a South Gomorrah after all. How about if I find 50 people and so on? <laughs> well, no. Oh, well. Four? Oh, okay, 50. And then he goes, all right, I've got him at 50. So <clears throat> how about 40? How about 30? So he's negotiating on behalf of other people to try to save them. So all he needs to find ultimately, I think, is 10 people who are good. And he can't even do that. And, of course, Sodom and Gomorrah uh, gets destroyed. <clears throat> But anyway, Noah, that, that's part of the reason why it, why it was. But 150 years, well, that's more than a lifespan for, for us. But that was just, a, you know, part of his youth that's not like <laughs> for him. Noah, right? Yeah. And, and, and that's very important to remember. It, time was very different. Life was very different. And the lifespan was very different. And it turned out that God, in his, of course, infinite wisdom, uh, determined that uh, a shorter lifespan for humans was probably better at the end of the day. Because if you know that you can continue on to the year 900 for 900 more years, well, then you're just going to be lazy and you're not going to be able to, to push yourself. So when we say life is short, <clears throat> we really mean it. Life is short but relative to the pre-Noah days. I think I'll finally go to work after I get my Social Security benefits. That's right. There you go. One day you'll be very rich. Now, if you can't make it after 900 years, <clears throat> maybe you ought not to... Uh, <clears throat> That's very funny. <laughs> Why yeah. wreck my youth with hard work when <laughs> I can do it when I'm 400? <laughs> my favorite thing about understanding the Bible, and this is the cultural side of it. We talked a lot about the science, and if there's any other science issues, um, I'm, I'm happy to address them. But it's really amazing how the, you can't point to anything in the Bible and say, well, they got it wrong, dead wrong on this. And again, putting the miracles aside, I'm talking about an understanding of the universe and an understanding of the earth. Had they said, for example, the earth is flat, that would be an example. Had they said that the, the sun goes around the earth, that would be a great example. It didn't. It always seemed to know that the earth goes around the sun and the earth was round. Very, it's fascinating. Here's another, this goes in the cultural rubric. <clears throat> we kind of alluded to this before. If you imagine, it, the Bible is either one or the other. It's binary, right? It's either divine or it's made up. I mean, is that a fair characterization? It's not partly made up and partly divine. Yeah. It's one it, or the other. It as, it as its whole. Yeah. So if it's divine, then it's going to be divine. If it's not, it, 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 then it means only one thing, which is that somebody fabricated this whole thing. Let's pretend, and I had a whole show on this, about this. What if you made up a Bible? Okay. What would it look like? And I, and I laid it all out. I said, okay, let's imagine like... A, a couple of guys, maybe seven guys getting together around a campfire, and they want to have a lark, and they want to create a Bible and, and fool people. Okay, well, first of all, you think to yourself, why, why would they even come up with the idea? There's never been a Bible before, right? So it's not as if, I mean, I understand it if a new religion comes along now, and then they pretend to find a, a Bible called the Book of uh, S'mores. I don't know why I came up with that. Scientology. Yeah, Scientology. Okay, so, but they would create a Bible. And they would, they would say, this is Bible is just as significant. In fact, it's more significant than your Bibles. But they had the, the notion in their mind that in order to be a legit religion, you better have a Bible, right? But the original, who thought about that? 
right? I mean, it, why would you even think about that? It doesn't make any sense. And also think about this. The Bible is not a book of Judaism. No, it's not. The Israelites are people in the Bible. Right. And they're the people charged with spreading this gospel <clears throat> to others. That's right. But it wasn't created by Israelites. No. And, and it's merely a story that involves the, uh, the Israelites and ultimately the Jews as the chosen people, but just merely as messengers. Not that they're better than anyone else. They're simply, they've been chosen to lead the message. That's it. Thank and you very much. And chosen to lead the message in many ways meant they had to go through a lot of bad stuff that right. no one would choose right, themselves so, to go through. So let's go back to this fabric, fabricating this Bible. If you're going to fabricate a Bible, right, you would say, and especially if you're around the campfire, like I was telling you about, seven guys, you'd say, let's get something so we get some goodies, you know? Uh, and we're the such and such clan and... You've got to give us all your, you know, 20% of whatever your treasure is, or you'll be damned to this place we'll call hell, okay? And uh, you've got to give us all your women as well, and we get to do all the, the fun stuff. You guys get to, you, you have to stick with just, you know, husband and wife sort of, sort of stuff, but we get all the fun, okay? Right? That, that's what you would do. Yeah. And, and let's, say, let's, let's be a little less cynical than that. At the very least, if you're trying to control a people, you wouldn't put in the Bible something to the you would say you must listen to the government we are the the chosen voice of god and whatever we say is a law and boy you better listen the right? first commandment would not be i command you to be free that that's a, that's what i'm getting to exactly right it wouldn't say whatever government you're in it's just bogus okay the only thing that matters is me god and listen, and, and I'm, I'm, God, I'm your Lord, your God. That's it. it doesn't say I'm now going to tell you how to live your lives or anything else like that. Here are the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, don't tell you how to live your life. And it doesn't say I'm your Lord, your God, worship me. Right. It says I'm your Lord, your God, I command you to be free. Right. That's wow. Exactly. And also, Dennis Prager made such a good point in this a couple of years ago. It blew my mind. He said, no one would write a Bible that's other than God who wrote this one that would make the main characters of the Bible look like such idiots over and yeah. over and over yeah. again. That's right. That, that, that is a wonderful thing. Uh, in comparison to all other documents or religious artifacts of the time, and even stories, I forget about it, because there was no Bible before, they just, but they did have stories. All the characters in those stories, whether they were the Greeks or the Romans or, or even before that, the Babylonians and so all the all the heroes were exactly that. They were heroes. They were perfect. They didn't make any mistakes. And the, and the evil people, uh, you know, they were purely evil. It was just, that, that's the way it was. Yeah. Achilles we are, who never used a restroom once in his whole lifetime. Yes, you know? exactly. Weird. Weird stuff. Talk about, you know, not jibing with science, right? But you have this, and here are very nuanced characters. I mean, King David, he was you know a great hero in the Bible. He makes constant mistakes. It's not just Bathsheba, which is a famous story, but also the way he just deals with um, you know his own sons. You know, and he goes to war with his sons. Why? Because he's engaged in polygamy, and the natural result of that is war. And that's one of the way God, God manifests His contempt of polygamy. So there's there's a tremendous amount that just would never be written in a Bible, and I'm putting a, a generic Bible, if you, were, if you were BSing your way through it. It just doesn't make sense. And, and to say, you know, respect your elders and uh, love your neighbor and, <clears throat> and all the things and don't covet. And this is weird stuff. It just, nothing about it makes sense. Not, almost, 
none of the Ten Commandments would make sense. Maybe don't murder, you know, but and don't steal. But that that would make sense. But it's all about interaction among and between people, not a relationship between the people and a government, which is exactly the opposite of what you would expect. Yeah, and look at this dichotomy, <clears throat> this document, these commandments, this light. And then God gives these nincompoot people who constantly are failing to spread that light. Think about the difficulty of selling the light to others yeah. when the stories about them show their utter failings time after time after time. It, it really shows you how the leap of faith is so necessary to accept the word of God and how difficult it is. You don't just get it easily and get the freedom that comes from having the relationship with God by going, oh, these people are Greek mythology heroes or Roman mythology heroes who don't use the bathroom and win every war, you know? You know, it's a sale so much harder. Feeney, did you understand that? Because I didn't. I didn't. But we love you God anyway. God, God knows what you mean. Okay. He gave me an A for effort, even if I just failed miserably like a nincompoop. I think it's that stroke that he just had a little while ago. <laughs> the sale was not made. I can't <laughs> feel the left side of my body. Here. That's right. But he's happy. Face. That's right. He's happy. He went talking about God. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> so it's, it's a, a fascinating area. And I appreciate you, Ari. I'm just kidding around with you. Uh, I love what you said. The, the, the point is that there's nothing in the Bible that makes sense if you were truly fabricating it. <clears throat> it does make sense if you were making it divine. And uh, it, it, what's weird about it, we were talking about being outside of time. The Bible itself, if you see it in context, because if you see it now, if you read it now, and you, you don't know of anything else in, his, in historical context, you would say, that's an interesting story, uh, putting aside the fact what we just talked about. You would say, well, you know, but I'm not comparing it to Hamlet. I'm comparing it to other great works of literature. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. It's interesting. But, but that's not a fair characterization. You have to look at it as it was at the time that it was written. And it was bizarre. It's as if you were telling, a, as if you were telling the story Star Wars with all its planets and everything else a thousand years ago. That's how bizarre the Bible is. In terms of it, it doesn't belong in the time, right? Weird. Or listening to rock and roll at the time of Beethoven, you would say this does not. This is not a time, right? If playing a Hey Jude, or you know, while my guitar gently weeps, you know, to an audience that otherwise is ready to listen to Bach, it's not. It's not going to jive very well. But but that's the, that's the way the Torah was. It was out of time, and that itself, to me, is proof. Yet another proof of how divine it must be. And that based on how out of time it was, how what a miracle it is that anyone accepted it at all in the era it was yeah. conceived. Yeah, it, it, it's a miracle all the way through. The fact that somebody even thought to write a Bible. Why? What, what, what's so significant about it? I mean, there was no religion per se. There, was no, there, was, there were peoples, yes. But peoples having a book with guidelines? What, what's that all about? I mean, in the old days, you, you were a tribe, and, and uh, you know, you conquered for the tribe, and you raped and pillaged for the tribe. Yes. And, uh, and, you, and you tried, maybe you might try to gain land for the tribe. And that's, that was your essence of life. And, and, and they even had writing and everything else, but nevertheless, that's the way they viewed the world. So why even bother with the Bible? I mean, it's, I don't know, it's like me deciding that for, for me to be significant in my law firm, I, you know, I need to, 
I don't know, um, have a clay statue for some reason. And only then will, will you know, my, my law firm mean anything. And we all must get together and have clay, uh, clay parties, right? So that's what's missing. Well, yes. Would you mind investing in that, please? Thanks. You're my producer, after all. Right. Uh, I'm so, on that. Uh, thanks. Thanks. Thanks very much. At Lurie Seltzer, we provide clay. <laughs> but anyway, it, it just makes no sense. It was no, there was no. I mean, I can't, I can't even give it a good example. That's not really a great example. I'm just simply saying it didn't make sense. Why would you need that? It's not necessary to have a friggin' Bible, a code of anything. Why? Could it be that they were thinking about time immemorial, right? Because if it was only for like, hey guys, let's let's kind of work things out for our present time, because we're just a small little tribe and we're just a bunch of schnooks. And we just want to make sure that everyone kind of lives reasonably. Well, then they wouldn't need a Bible. But instead, they do have a Bible that explains not only the way to, to have a code of conduct for all time, for all future, that is timeless, but they also go back in time and they explain everything that happened before. How the universe began, right? How, uh, how, how, how the animals came on. Why was that necessary? But it was. Well, more than that, how did they know? And how do they know? And they just happen to get it right. If this doesn't, you know, help you appreciate the true divinity of the Torah, I don't know what what is. What, what do you think, Fini? I mean, is this after this discussion, you feel a little bit more comfortable with it? I don't know. I, I'm going to have to think about it. You make some good points. I mean, um, I guess the science gels a lot more than I thought it did. Yeah, and that's and that's just the Bible side. We we. We talked before many times about the science without regard to the Bible, just the chances that life would develop on its own, the chances that the universe... The chances would, that energy and matter balance out so well, so, yeah. all those kinds of things. Uh, that, that, yeah, I just, I just learned this uh, number, um, that this probability, I should say, that the probability of the universe uh, ever forming at all is the same probability of taking all the grains of sand on, and, and all the earth and every beach that you can imagine or, or anywhere, any grain of sand, and you take one grain of sand out and that little uh, takeaway is enough to collapse the entire universe. That's what it's like. That's not Brock Lurie's invention. That's, that's scientifically proven now that the chances of the universe actually forming and exploding the way it is and with, the, with you know, clumps of planets and everything else like that, instead of just being dissipating you know, in a random sort of way like this, is one out of that, quintillion upon quintillion. So that science is very powerful to me. And that, that's, it's so powerful that, that that has led me to know that there's a God. And now I take the next step and I... I study the Torah and I say, well, what are the chances that the Torah is, is not divine? I mean, really, that's, that's how I phrase it. You can, you can say, what are the chances that it is divine and what are the chances that it's not divine? I, I ask the question, what are the chances that it's not divine? Because the chances of it not, not being divine are very, very slim at this point after all we've talked about. Feeney, thanks very much for your inquiry and, and good questions. Thank you for having me. You're welcome, and uh, we, we hope to have you here again. I'm Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for listening today, and we'll talk with you real soon.